0: Welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of Zeroing In, the science podcast. I am Naman Jain, and hosting this episode with me today is Prakar Agarwal, who is an aerospace engineer and has been working in ISRO as a scientist for the last nine years. He is also a graduate from the very first batch of the Indian Institute of Space Science and Technology and is currently pursuing his advanced master's at ISAE SuperAero in Toulouse, France. We're extremely elated to have here with us in conversation... An internationally renowned veteran from the field of space sciences, a distinguished Indian scientist, Dr. B. N. Suresh. Dr. Suresh has been associated with the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, for a little more than 50 years now. A Padma Bhushan and Padma Shri awardee, for his riveting contributions to the country's scientific and technological growth, he has closely seen and shaped the Indian space program almost right from its very beginning. Presently serving as an Honorary Distinguished Professor at the ISRO headquarters in Bangalore, Dr. Suresh was formerly the Director of the Vikram Sarabhai Space Centre in Trivandrum, formerly the President of the Indian National Academy of Engineering, INAE, in Delhi, and former member of the Space Commission of India. His role in defining the activities for advanced technology development and their planning for space transportation in India has been very significant. He joins the distinguished group of individuals who, by their achievements in the engineering of systems, have contributed uniquely to crucial technological developments in the country and enhancement of the society at large. This podcast session is especially interesting as partaking in this discussion with us, we also have some of the India's brightest and curious young students from secondary schools joining us from various corners of the country to ask their questions to Dr. Suresh directly. The schools participating with us here today are Kendriya Vidyalaya No. 1 from Palakkar in Kerala, Sinzeves Senior Secondary School Jaipur from Rajasthan, Nagarjuna Talent School from Hyderabad, Shewood Public School from Sikandrabad, Heritage Valley, the Indian School from Shadnagar, Anjumane Islam Alana English High School from Mumbai, VMJ School from Madurai, Somalwar High School and Junior College from Nagpur, and Kendriya Vidyalaya from Barakpur, West Bengal. We extend a warm welcome to all the teachers and students and look forward to their curious questions along the discussion. And of course, again, we would like to extend a very heartiest welcome to Dr. B. N. Suresh. Welcome, sir. It's my pleasure.
1: Let me thank all of you for organizing a beautiful session. And uh, always, I am excited to meet and spend my time with the youngsters. Very nice to
0: see all. Uh, a good number of youngsters, I think, across the country. Uh, so we are really glad and honored to have you here with us. Uh, so we'd like to start with the most fascinating and broad idea at the outset. Uh, and this is something that you always addressed in the beginning of your sessions or any public talks as well. Why is rocket science so complex? Would you like to briefly talk about the excitement of the whole undertaking before we delve into the details?
1: Now that you asked a very interesting question, which is... Uh... Always my favorite because, uh, you know, rocket science essentially signifies a task which is very difficult to accomplish. That's how the word rocket science has come When we talk about space, whether it's a launch vehicle or rocket which puts the satellite into the orbit or the satellite once launched it has to stay in orbit for almost 10 to 15 years and uh, carry on the task assigned to that. Uh, All these things can happen only if you are able to sort of visualize how it works and uh, how to make it uh, work without any time. You see, many of the systems that we see are built, it may get into problem and uh, what we do is we try to correct it and take it forward. For example, you take an automobile and uh, some problem comes. What do you do? Just take it to side, get it rectified and then move on. But in space systems, you can't do that because uh, any one failure of any kind, whether it is simple or complex, it will end up the end up with the catastrophic, what we call mission failure costing few hundreds of crores for the exchequer. So that's why it becomes uh, very, very complex and how we are able to do that, visualizing all possible scenario, all possible failure conditions and make it robust. What you need to do is that you have to build systems with uh, zero defect or even perfection, what we call. That is extremely important. That's why I keep telling all the time, you know, that if you master the rocket science, essentially you you are able to perfect in what you are doing. I think you will do a good job. And always you will uh,
0: come out with colors in whatever task that you are going to undertake. Okay? Uh, Indeed, indeed. that's, that's, That's a really beautiful bit. I believe there is one thing that is very prominent when you usually address this question as well. And I would just like to point that out again so that we can probably elaborate into that a little bit. Uh, and that is, what is it like uh, making a rocket from scratch? Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, I will not get into the details. I think it's a very interesting question. I think any probing mind should get fascinated by the way the rocket works. After all, it takes about... Uh, 20 22 minutes. Uh, the moment uh, we give the countdown and call T zero, the majestically takes off, and uh, within uh, 17 to 20 minutes, it places the spacecraft in the precise orbit uh, several uh, hundreds of kilometers away. And uh, what is required to build it? You know, basically, when you talk about um, uh, rocketry or launch vehicle it consists of all branches of science and engineering I think what all uh, our young friends learn in their uh, school college and engineering all of them you need to apply because there is what is called propulsion system which gives the energy just like you have the uh, engine which provides the power to the car to drive then of course uh, you have the structures which houses the entire energy package into that then you have the control guidance, basically it's the brain which really guides it autonomously to take it to the final slot, then you have the mechanisms which separates the spin stages are thrown into the sea, then you have uh, uh, several several other components coming into the system, you know if you really look at one vehicle, it will contain as many as uh, 400 to 500 electronic packages or avionic packages we call and uh, if you really look at the the wires that is in a vehicle, top to bottom, back forth, if you really measure the length, it will run into 100 kilometers, You know something like 200, 300 kilometers of wire will be running up and down. So all these things require very meticulous planning, very meticulous design. More than that, I think as I mentioned to you already, the once you have a various disciplines, it becomes multidisciplinary. Not only multidisciplinary, it also becomes multidimensional. So you can see the complexity of the system that we are building. That means you have really number of scientists, and engineers mastered in different different areas. Like I said earlier, in the propulsion, in the control, in the structures, in the mechanism, in the avionics, so on and so forth. And all of them have to work uh, uh, with synergy. You know, it's always I, I always keep telling. It's like uh, Orchestra. So, why I'm saying that is even if one person plays a wrong note in that big symphony orchestra, the whole music goes off. Same thing happens in rocketry. If anyone does any one simple error or mistake, whole mission will be out. That's why I keep telling that it requires to build one of one standard vehicle which can put satellite into the orbit. Uh, maybe something like uh, two, 2,000 to 2,500 scientists engineers they have to work together along with the other support staff and uh, in my opinion if you are building a new vehicle it takes between 8 to 10 years for you to build you know the kind of quantum of work that is involved in building the rocketry and uh, one can go on and on but I think that's uh, uh, suffice to say that this is the complexity with which you build that's why we always keep telling the most complex system that one can think of
0: is building the rocket, assembling it, integrating it, and making it work. Uh, I I think this is a really great answer, even from the perspective of a, of a child, uh, a student who is learning things right now in school as well. Uh, we've heard your answer to this question in the most complex of details when you've been taking our courses in, in college as well. And it is really different to see you answer it extremely simply and with the same, same fascination. I think the next question that I would again like to ask at the onset, which is again pretty broad, uh, is about your long journey with the Indian space program. From the days when you were a young engineer and working on to this day, your clearance is a key for authorizing missions and launches right now. So how has your experience evolved for you in that perspective?
1: You know, I was uh, in a way fortunate enough for for having joined somewhere in in the middle of 1969 and incidentally, I want to tell you, I think for our young friends, you know, I joined just week after the historic feat of uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin uh, landed on the moon. In fact, uh, that excited me. Uh, by then I had joined. Uh, but then, uh, you know, since then I have been participating in almost all launches. Uh, so far, we have had a launch of 76 launches from Sri of our own. And the one that we had on 7th November, this, this month, was the 76th and I think we have positioned as many as 104 satellite of our Indian satellite and I also want to tell you today we have something like 50 satellites which are active in the sky. We call them space assets serving the country in several, several ways. So every launch is an excitement, every launch is a new launch because we never know that uh, by saying that I have launched 7, seven launches, 8th one I can go confidence. No, it's not that. Every launch is a new launch and we don't know what would happen. And that's why you know, we have a methodology developed over a period. How do we check? For example, when you go for a medical checkup, they call, you know, all all, uh, all medical checkup, they call. And on the same line, sort of feel the pulse of the various systems that are available in the rocket. And then we monitor them on a continuous basis. During the countdown also we monitor and satisfying all these conditions are met with, we can say that system is healthy and we can allow it to go, go ahead and that's how we press the button when the launch takes place. But after that, everything is assessed properly, it will go on working, you know, everything works autonomous. There is no intervention of any kind. Once you press the button till it put the satellite into the orbit. So that's where the complexity we need to address and then look into that, but then we for us, when we sit there and then go through the launch phase, during the countdown, of course, we are very calm because any problem coming, we can stop try to attend and correct it. But once the vehicle takes off, nothing is in our hands and every minute, you know, I said about 17 to 20 minutes, every minute will be something like, for us, will be equivalent to 1 year. You know, that is the kind of palpit- palpitations that we have sitting in the car center, and uh, nothing else we can do excepting praying to our own uh, favorite gods. And uh, till till the satellite is injected, I think we are all very tense. And you have seen that the moment satellite is injected, we get the data in the control center, and all of jump with jubilation. You know that is the extent and that is the experience that we have. But then that experience comes because of the hard work put in by.
0: Thousands and thousands of scientists and engineers for a national cause. Uh, indeed, that's that's immensely fascinating to hear. sir. So at this bit, before we start off with a detailed discussion, can you briefly explain all the areas that ISRO works in and the tasks that it majorly undertakes at present? Because right now we have a very, uh, very small view of all that, that ISRO uh, ventures into.
1: Yeah, you know, if you really talk about ISRO uh, we cannot start without recalling the founding father of the Indian space program that is Vikram Sarabhai, a visionary and uh, somewhere in the early 60s he visualized uh, a country like, uh, poor country like India, those days, you know, in the 60s we have advanced so much uh, in the last five or six, six decades but then uh, to see that we have to have a space program. And uh, his, uh, while addressing the UN, he made one simple statement that uh, we must be second to none in the applications of advanced technologies for the benefit of. It. Having said that, he always had that in mind. We must utilize the space because you know once you put the satellite, it goes into the vantage space, vantage point in the space, and you can utilize it for the various other applications on ground, which will benefit the common man. So in other words, the first fundamental thing in any space program is the application. When I say applications, what are the applications? It could be remote, it could be communication, it could be navigation, it could be disaster management, all these different functionalities will come into the picture. And when I talk about remote sensing, then using the vantage point of space and putting proper instrumentation, I can sort of utilize the data those are so collected or various other applications. I think I'm sure that all youngsters might have heard, you know, for example, you can use it for agriculture, you can use it for forestry, you can use it for fishery, you can use it for rural development, urban development, so on and so forth, many, many other areas. I mean, there is no end to that. Well, similarly, once you put the communication satellite, you have shrunk the whole globe into a small village. And today, you know, it is very well connected The broadcasting, I think we have as many as somewhere like 60, 70 million connections are taken through the direct to home by seven different operators, private and public. And then similarly, the disaster management, you know, there were days where we had difficulty to manage, disaster. you know, cyclone or even heavy rain, so on and so forth. So, first place is to reach out to the common man, that is the application. That is the important one ingredient. Having said that, second is what? Second becomes having the payloads. Payloads means, you know, you put instrumentation, that is fundamental. Once you put instruments on board and then uh, keep it in the sky, those instruments are able to make the measurements that is necessary to carry on these applications that, that I have mentioned earlier. So, you put the payload into the orbit, what you do? You need to build a house for that. That's what is called spacecraft. Spacecraft essentially keeps the payload inside and provides the house like a, you know, our own house provides all amenities needed for us to stay and then onto the life, the payload also is managed like that. So once you have the spacecraft, then that provides all needed amenities for the payload to operate, then transmit the data and then take it. Now, third element, what Sarabhai visualized was, we should have an end-to-end program, not only application, the build the spacecraft, but also you should sort of launch it. You know, many countries, we really look at it. Very few countries have ventured into launching the satellite into spacecraft because that becomes one thing is very complex and the cost is high. Facilities that are needed are complex, but still he visualize. And that's why the third component is the launch vehicle. So if you ask me frankly, there are three important ingredients I want to repeat once again. One is the application which reaches out to the all 1.37 billion of the population. Then in order to generate that data, what is required by each one of them, you need to have the payload, payload basically instrumentation, and you host the payload spacecraft. The once you have the spacecraft, you also launch them by using our own launch data. The support, of course, we have several, several other programs, and all these activities are very well sort of organized and put it in different, different centers all over India. And that's how we carry on the task to meet the requirement. And if you ask me, frankly, today, five decades are over. What Sarabhai has visualized what ISRO should do for the country. I think I can humbly accept that we have reasonably done that job. And today we have reached out to each and every segment of the society and trying to help them in several
0: ways. Indeed, that's completely undeniable, and it's extremely fascinating and informative to cure these facets of history that we do not know about after having even come this far while working with it. So there's this bit that I would like to ask you about. Uh, as you were seeing all this happening in the 80s and 90s, the Indian space program actually developing, we were the sixth country in the world to be able to become a spacefaring nation. And even till now, there is only 11 countries in that list. Um, So how have you seen the development of ISRO and in general, even personally, through anecdotes or so, uh, that ISRO was able to sustain through its program for so long, given that we were in a developing state and the world was always questioning uh, at some point about how such a country would would develop a state-of-the-art program as as we lead now?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a
0: very interesting
1: question, but then uh, a country like India... You know, if you analyze how we are able to sustain, how still we are able to sort of remain one of the competitive organization, because uh, I think the way in which I will get back to Sarabhai's vision, who visualized that we have to align all our development towards the national development. I think uh, we have not departed from uh, that particular goal even today, you know, whatever we do, the majority of the tasks that we do, our launches, our missions. Uh, we always sort of align to meet the country's demand, be it remote, be it communication. You know that's one of the reasons. Uh, you know, although the uh, GPS is there and then GLONASS is there, uh, all of them are support us. But then uh, we know that for sure. At the time of difficulties, uh, we can't depend on global positioning system. Today it's available in all our mobile, in smartwatches everywhere it is there but uh, under the difficult circumstances they may just stop it that's why you know we came out with our own innovative way of doing uh, seven satellites in navigation and today it is put into service what we call as the navigator. so what is driving us is really to meeting the needs of the country and uh, today its application is increasing tremendously almost everywhere the automobile sector, railway sector, the fishermen using it, and I think also the the receivers are coming in a big way. So that in the maybe another five years, you will find in Indian mobiles uh, wherever it comes, the GPS as well as Navic. So we can depend on our own. So what I am trying to drive at is that demand uh, uh, keeps on increasing, and the arena you know, of our involvement also increases. Uh, see, after uh, Honorable Prime Minister Modi took over as Prime Minister, he was very familiar with the space activities while he was in Gujarat. And uh, realizing the importance of that, uh, the first thing he did after he took over, within a very short period, uh, organized a big meeting at Delhi and uh, calling as many as uh, 75 different departments and he himself came and um, inaugurated, spent considerable time and uh, were there and uh, examined how the space data that we are generating can be utilized, Number one, how much more data that you need the space to generate and what kind of planning they have to do down the line, five years, 10 years, 15 years, uh, various departments. And in fact, uh, that activity not only seeded, today it's being monitored by Cabinet Secretary with all departments. As many as 158 projects are running even today. And uh, our hands are full, honestly speaking. So, it's not that just trying to launch a satellite, trying to put something uh, in the sky. I think it is basically trying to meet the requirements of the country in any of the areas I talked earlier. So, that being so, you know, transponder, I mentioned that today, the demand in the country of such a big country is more, more than 500 transponders are needed, whereas we have only around 270, 280. Still, gap has to be filled. And, of course, also the high-speed the uh, Uh, Internet requirements have come in a big way to remote places and all that. Also, you know, even today, the bandwidth requirement is not to to the mark that we would expect as a country. So there are many, many things that we need to do. I can tell you that we have a very long agenda to meet requirement. While we have that, we can't be left behind in some of the advanced areas like uh, interplanetary mission. That's where Dr. Kastur Rangan visualized. We must develop a capability and Chandrayaan 1 was defined, Chandrayaan 2. But you look at it, it is not the main agenda. It, In fact, we do it in addition to this important requirement. Same thing, it took almost 10 years when I was the director of VSSC. We started the work on human space mission. It's now more than 10 years. But then uh, it was approved just uh, two years back and we are working on that. Why? Because, you know, how the things will go from now to another five years, 10 years, nobody can visualize the way in which the technologies are advancing we have to be in the lead i think we have to develop that habit and then keep moving so there is a very good combination of meeting the requirements of the nation then developing advanced technology to meet the future demands and also trying to generate the blueprint needed for the country as well as from the global scenario so that you know we have a dream of becoming one of the advanced nations very soon i think we have to work towards that too so these are all we have to look in totality and take a comprehensive look actually
2: yeah uh, that actually prints a broad picture of how space program is so relevant and so much needed in our country like ours where the space program is contributing to the applications and development of the country you mentioned an interesting point sir that we are venturing into interplanetary exploration and that we even have human space flight. And I remember that you initiated that uh, space capsule recovery experiment, which was successfully conducted in 2007. Perhaps uh, you can throw some light on how it was initiated, how was the work like on it and whatever else you would like to share about it. You
1: know, it was was, um, a very interesting uh, topic because Uh, The space recovery experiment, if you really look at it, it is the the spacecraft module which is in the orbit and you are trying to sort of uh, reduce the velocity and bring it back and recover. There was a very, very strong uh, debate going on uh, the way in which we have organized ourselves whether VSSC should do it because being re-entry, it's equivalent to rocketry VSSC. But being a spacecraft in the orbit, in the orbit for several days deorbiting, the URSC do it. What happened that somewhere in uh, 2004 or 2005, the then director of uh, VSSC, Dr. Srinivasan, was there. He's one of the again, uh, pioneers in rocket technology. And he appointed me as the chairman of the committee. And uh, when I really looked at it, it looked to me that this project cannot be done by one or the other this has to become ISRO's program, you know, that with that idea I walked into director's uh, URSC room, at that time Dr. P.S. Goel was the director, then uh, I sat with him and convinced him there is no point in saying you do it, I do it, this is not the way you are going to work, I think it has to be done in uh, combination with all ISRO centers, for example, propulsion has to come from LPSC, the SHAR has to worry about the complete recovery operations, Satellite operations we had to do, and you know, finally we were able to come to some common agreement. And uh, Madhavan Nair was the chairman at that time. We went and told him, and then it is a big story. We all sat together, spent one full day, and then the baseline is whoever so has made good advance in any particular technology, they will do the job, not X yes or Y or something. You know, when a uh, simple example, the navigation guidance control, they had to work like a single unit. ASU was mastering navigation, they will do it. Then guidance always, uh, VSSC master, they will do it. Control, the spacecraft control, more like a URSC will do it. You know, we distributed ourselves and uh, then uh, they put me to review the completely integrated technical aspects of that. And uh, uh, the difficult portion here, if you really look at it, apart from all other things, because it enters. And then comes back. It is subjected to the very high temperatures. You know when it comes through the atmosphere. So you need to have some kind of a thermal protection system so that when it's subjected to that two thousand degrees Celsius plus outside, inside should be less than sixty seven degrees Celsius. So that all the instrumentation, everything remains all right. And also you guide it properly and come to the point where you want to reach. Then also I told you the recovery operations. You know they are the post guards, you have to have the ship, all that, a host of technologies. Then we worked almost like a single team, I think the first project if I'm correct, where uh, you know the VSSC, URSC, Sriharikota, track, all of them worked like a single team. And uh, uh, you know it went very well, suffice to say that it succeeded. But what I would like to add, one thing here is, you know, country did not realize the importance of this particular mission, honestly. But, you know, I was representing uh, India in UN deliberations at Vienna. And uh, in the very first, that happens somewhere in the month of February. When I went and then made the statement, uh, I myself was surprised. Every country congratulated uh, uh, India for accomplishing this uh, recovery so precisely. You know, we were supposed to come in, a, in an ellipse of uh, 50 by 70. We were right on the dot when we recovered. That was the kind precise of with which it was done. It was a very, very satisfying project. And the globe realized how difficult it is to come through for the first time, first attempt. And uh, I further, I want to add that those whomsoever uh, have heard this, if you happen to go to Trivandrum, there is a museum available. Particular piece is kept there. I think this is possibly the only piece which has come, everyone is available in ISRO.
2: That's extremely fascinating and inspiring to hear. It very clearly strikes out in your conversations that ISRO has been able to find a real balance between healthy competition and teamwork. And this is what brings about successes. We've also seen in terms of teamwork uh, that ISRO collaborates with international bodies. And there have been collaborations in the past. And there must be some collaborations in the current scenario as well. So, uh, how do you see that ISRO's collaborations with other agencies will go forward in future?
1: Uh, as far as the international collaboration is concerned, you know, we, when uh, Sarabai started way back, uh, Tumba Equatorial rocket launch station, that's where the the first seeds of international collaboration seeded because here such a big cloud with various agencies like uh, you know he got uh, the rockets from russia the france england us all advanced countries you were able to get them so that you know we were able to get the tracking we were able to get the launcher we were able to sort of assemble many things you know because by looking at it so uh, that started i think uh, the particularly with russia our long standing partner continued i think all of you know that uh, we depended on Aribata, Vaskara, their own launchers and our own cryogenic engine gsl 3 even today and uh, even human space mission, they are helping us in several ways. So also with uh, US, I think we have joined hands and of course, France, you know that our, uh, the Earth Storable Liquid Engine, uh, we got trained there and then uh, what we call as the Vikas engine is the really the help provided by them. And uh, similarly, we had initially the gyros accelerometer, we got it from uh, several agencies across the globe. Uh, so we strongly believe that, you know, as we move forward and forward in the space arena because it is expensive, it's important for us to join hands and enhance the international uh, cooperation wherever possible. Uh, sometimes it's possible because it depends on the uh, the, the geographical uh, Uh, partnership that we may have, you know, sometimes friendly, sometimes not so friendly, all these kinds of things will be there. So, one has to factor all this and then move it forward. Uh, But, uh, you know, for example, when International Space Station was done, in fact, we were not even invited. Maybe that's one of the reasons uh, Kalam used to tell all the time, you know, strength respects strength. We have the similar strength what we have today. But if they really visualize that they must have a similar program, I'm sure they will first uh, invite India for two, three things. One is we have the capability, we are economically competent and our, our youngsters are second to none. And so I think all these things will factor and then today, uh, that's why people are looking more and more towards India to join hands and we also should do it uh, uh, in a selective manner wherever it is. To us. We can't simply put the bandwagon and get in for the sake of it. But we have to always look at the pros and
0: cons and the kind of relations we have with each of the countries and move forward. I think that paints a really interesting picture. And the whole view is quite judicial in the sense of taking the program sustainably forward. Uh, I think we can have a question from one of the students at this point. Uh, we have the first question coming from Pragadishwar. Uh, Pragadishwar, can you please ask your question?
2: Good morning sir. My name is Pragadishwar. I am from VMJ school Madurai. Uh, my question is what attracted you towards aerospace and avionics engineering after after your graduation from mechanical engineering?
1: <laughs> you know I, I always believe that uh, when you go and join somewhere whatever task given to you I think you should uh, carry on. As scientist and uh, engineer uh, what we learn in our school and colleges is really try to learn the task that is given to you. Whatever is needed to be learned, you can learn. Basically, that the ability we have to develop. So, happened that when I joined uh, way back in 1969 and uh, reported for the task, I was given the development of a control system which I had not studied, which I had not uh, seen any not touching a computer i didn't know anything about simulation because these are all the important things that one should have to to develop a control system build it and you should have electronics to control that then you have to have simulation to simulate that but then uh, you know it it, it, it was little uh, uh surprising to me and as well as you know disheartening because uh, what i have studied i am not able to use but then uh, my boss at that time you know he simply made one statement Looks great. you are all engineers, you are sort of uh, uh, taught how to do things new and take it as a challenge and do in the process something new. I think that is the that particular statement made me to really take on and then carry on the task. It took some time, but you know, in, in a matter of something like two to three months, able to learn you know, whatever is required of you to get started. And as you started moving further, you will get tremendous opportunity to learn many things not only by reading the books, by interacting with your peers, by looking at the similar tasks elsewhere. There are many ways of learning and I would, it's a good question that you have asked because you know many times I have seen our young friends that they get fascinated by doing something in their final year or fourth year and they feel that, oh I am specialised in this, I am not getting that job. No, I think you must be prepared to take any job that is given to you, that
0: is the job of the scientists and engineers. Uh, sure, sir. Uh, thank you, Pragadishwa, for your question. Uh, we have the next question coming from Mohammed Ayan Khan from Mumbai.
1: My name is mohammed Ayan Khan and I am from Anjuman Islam Alana English High School. So, my question is, why is so much money
0: invested in space exploration?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's another good question. You know, anybody who listens to talk on space, that is the question always one can expect. It's like a leaked question, I would put it that way. (laughs) Because, you know, you you are not realizing that uh, the money that we spend and the money that we are able to give to the country. There was one study initiated by the one, Professor Shankar of uh, Madras uh, School of Economics in Chennai and he did it about uh, 10 years back and then uh, you know that money that we are spending and then the amenities that we are providing to the country, if you really uh, translate into real economics, he has concluded that every paisa spent, for every paisa spent I think the space has given something like three to four paisa back to the country, that's three to four times. So, you may be surprised how it happens. You know, there are many, very many ways of doing that. For example, today, the communication, the way in which we are getting connected across country and across the globe uh, how we are able to do that Uh, you know we have as many as 230 to 40 transponders and demand is something like 500 transponders all the broadcasting that you need for the various uh, requirements uh, in the country is linked by that the financial sector you know all banks are linked through our own spacecraft you look at the ATMs today all ATMs are linked through our own uh, satellite connections. Similarly, the share market is linked with that. So, you can see that the our spread in several, several areas have gone in a in a bigger way. You know that disaster which is coming. I think all of you know that eastern coast, what happens is every year the number of cyclones because come, because the, geographically the, it is uh, located like that, it starts somewhere in the Bengal and then you know, anywhere it can strike from Tamil Nadu to, Bangladesh to Warissa, West Bengal, uh, then, uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar, anywhere it can happen. But then the way in which we have sort of come out with the technology development today, uh, in the about eight or 10 years back, huge, huge uh, cyclone came and hit the Warissa coast. But the technology that we developed, also the understanding we have with the state government and other missionaries, uh, so happened that uh, you know not a single life was lost same thing about 20 years back uh, when we had not advanced technologies like that and 10000 people in say orissa coast they had lost uh, lives not only human lives the animal lives many things there are very many this kind of tangible and intangible benefit accrued only thing is this is not so clearly visible That's one of the reasons, you know, I mentioned earlier, Sarabhai said that we have to use the advanced technologies, no doubt they are expensive, but then we have to use it for the benefit of mankind. This is the benefit that we are giving in return.
2: This was the first of the two parts for this season's final episode of Zeroing In, in conversation with Dr. B. N. Suresh. It has been supported by Alumina Association of IIST. Zeroing in aims at bridging the pronounced gap between the school students and academic mentors, enthusiasts of science, technology and research and the graduate school academia and scientists through the length and breadth of Indian subcontinent and even further. Tune in to the second part of this episode where we continue this conversation with Dr. Suresh on the inception, journey and success story of the Indian Space Research Organization the ideas that shaped it, the first plans and implementations of human space program by India, and the invaluable reflections of the process from a first perspective.